This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. All right, welcome back to Energy Sense. It's an IHS market podcast focused on the intersection of finance and energy markets. This is Hill Vaden here with Brian Doherty. How are you, Brian? I'm good, Hill. How are you? I'm doing all right. And uh, today we're going to talk about um, the the emergence of, uh, I guess, retail stock pickers uh, in, in energy stocks uh, over the, the the back of the COVID market crash and resurgence. I think the S&P 500 may have hit a record again yesterday uh, or one day this week. Um, and we've got with us Kareem Fawaz, who's been here uh, at least once before. Kareem, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you guys? Doing all right. And Mike Shapiro and his colleague Brian Manalas. Manalas, sorry. Manalasas. Did I get that right? Manalasas, just close. Third time to charm. <laughs> I'm tripping over myself and I have uh, Brian, Brian in front of me. Brian, yeah, yeah call me Brian. Brian, yeah. Thank, thanks for having us, guys. I appreciate, appreciate it. Yeah, and, and you guys, uh, so, so just to kind of let, let the, uh, the, the, the listening world know, but, but there, there's a, a happy hour, a digital happy hour <laughs> coming up after this that, that you guys are, are hosting and have to get to. Uh, and, and I think that's a decent place to start, Brian, that um, I think the obvious question here is, is what's the difference in a virtual happy hour and just drink at home by yourself? Um, but the less really not much other than feeling better about it, I guess, or, right. or not being as yeah. judged. I, I guess, I guess that's the the big takeaway. I'm not as judged when I engage in in work related virtual happy hours as I would be if I was just sitting in a corner by myself with a bottle of wine. <laughs> right, it seems somehow more appropriate. Uh, but Mike, you've said that you, you've done these uh, a handful of times, and the question, you know, Brian, I were talking about this yesterday. Um, that there seems to be, as we've all been moved into working remote and Microsoft Teams, um, there are those who are quite comfortable with the camera on, those who would rather the camera off, and those who have those fake backgrounds. Do, do the happy hours, do, is there a dress code for this? Does one need the camera on? Um, uh Excellent question. And camera on was the first rule of the happy hour. <laughs> first rule we, we of the happy hour. Yes, we didn't necessarily make uh, you must have a real drink in your hand as a rule. It's kind of optional, but the camera on was not optional. That has to happen. And can you be anywhere? That, so, so a friend was telling me that, that she's she's a camera off person uh, on uh, on Teams. And the reason for that is she works in her bedroom, and she says she's been very uncomfortable with the idea of inviting all of her coworkers into her bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> so, so are, are people showing up to the happy hour from any and every room? Is you know, as long as the camera's on, does anything go? They, they could be anywhere. Uh, one of one of our colleagues shows up from his back porch with his dog in his lap and a bear in his hand. Uh, someone else ends up at a lake house half the time. <laughs> She's not even our team anymore. Uh, <laughs> she just shows up. <laughs> yeah. The guy I co-managed the team with showed up in a Gumby suit one day. Anything can happen, really. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. that, that's an episode in itself. Well, well, <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was fun. <laughs> 
All right. Well, well, all of this is in a weird way uh, more normal, and I think it's related to what we're talking about today with uh, energy, well, stock picking in general from from stay at home people. That that you know that there was this this great timing from the perspective of some where where uh, Robinhood and others amount zero zero dollar commission that they, they make margin lending easier. And then COVID happens, the market crashes, everybody gets sent home, some lose their jobs, some get a stimulus, and, and people start picking stocks in, in ways not wholly dissimilar to, to the way they pull levers at slot machines. It's led to stardom for you know at least one person on Twitter who, who um, Dave Portnoy, has gone from what a uh, online gambling persona to interviewing the president of the United States. Um, so, so, so it has it has totally changed things, and energy has gotten. Uh, Brian, I think you've done a lot of the work on this. Energy seems to have gotten a lot of attention as a lot of these retailers are picking some of the really beaten up stocks. Um, and you published recently on this. Can you can you talk a little bit about what what your papers have discovered? Yeah, sure. So, as you rightfully mentioned, you know, retail investors have been receiving a ton of media attention, really for driving trade activity over the last couple of months, and. You know, we we really wanted to know just how much of an influence this so-called retail trading renaissance, you know, has had across the markets and and particularly across our our energy clients. So so we we looked at trends in overall retail ownership and and capital flows across, you know, call it a sample size of you know about 60 issuers, um, and and as you mentioned, really since the brokerage industry slash fees back in September 2019. So yeah, you know, effectively making the equity markets more accessible, and and perhaps to, to no surprise, you know, we found that retail investors disproportionately targeted, you know, these beaten down sectors um, like oil and gas, um, airlines and hospitality, uh, you know, as well as um, headline heavy sectors like like healthcare, you know, with all the news on vaccines and whatnot. So so our our data suggests that there is a strong preference, um, you know, to trade and own. Lower price stocks, a um, dollar fifty per share seem to be the sweet spot in energy. Yes. And that's regardless. Yeah. Uh, so, so fractional shares has been another innovation, but but people prefer to buy a full share for dollar fifty rather than a dollar fifty of a more expensive company. Yeah, that 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 that's what it does appear to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and so so most of these you know small cap um, issuers you know witnessed really. Almost a twofold increase in in overall retail ownership. You know, it was already high to begin with. You know, averaging at around call it like 16% of, of float, growing to essentially over over 30% of float, and and even higher in some cases. Um, so, you know, the story is pretty much similar, um, but less pronounced for for your mid mid and large cap guys. Uh, but um, really, the same same trend uh, for the most part. So. Yeah, you know, I thought it was also pretty interesting that, you know, we saw these retail investors were pretty sensitive towards market moving news like the price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. If you if you guys recall back in March, um, you know, where we saw total retail ownership in many cases essentially doubling within a week's time. So it's truly a market, a new market phenomena. Um, you know, and it's, pre it's pretty clear that the cohort, you know, you know, in a lot of cases have been the marginal investor. You know, time like like this, and you know, as we continue to see institutional capital essentially leave the space, so that's the, that's a bulk of kind of what what we were able to take away here. All right, so all this is happening, Kareem. I know you do a lot of work, one on the oil markets, but but two, working directly with more of the institutional 
uh, buyers. I, I'm, I'm not sure yeah. that we're working with a whole lot with the retail buyers and sellers at the moment, but ha can you frame a little bit of the context from the more the macro and more the institutional side that this is happening? Sure. I mean, sitting on the commodity side, we're kind of on the commodity. We're, we're a bit more familiar with retail investor sentiment kind of playing into the market over the past few years. I mean, like clockwork, usually as the, the price of oil crashes, you see this onslaught of, of retail money come in just because the lure of higher oil prices is so, is so tempting. We had it in 2008, 2009 during the crisis and the crash when oil prices went from 140 to 40. You start to have a lot of money come back in saying even if it comes back to, you know, 80 or something, it's still a very good investment. So you saw it during the financial crisis. You saw it in 2014 and 15 when the prices crashed. And you saw it again this year uh, in the second quarter when during after the price war when oil prices went you know into the teens and at some point negative you had this massive influx of retail capital on the commodity side and typically on the commodity side it's through ETFs and in some case in some cases even more dangerous leveraged ETFs 2x 3x long Brent or WTI uh, ETF. So retail has been a player on the commodity side for quite a while, but I think what's happened this time around is a much more visible kind of intervention on the equity side and into the companies and the sectors, which I think is quite interesting. And I think what Brian was talking about has uh, some big implications in the sense that a lot of these companies coming into the second quarter were already battered, already in bad financial shape. And suddenly you had a lot of capital kind of come into them at a time where, and some of them were almost bankrupt, if not already on the road to bankruptcy. So it's kind of started to distort the signals from the market to these companies, which has added a lot of volatility on the equity side within the sector. I think just to kind of bring it back to the market, I think the conditions that led all the capital in were kind of self-reinforcing. You had low oil prices, extremely low oil prices. And if you look at it, at a price chart for any of these uh, kind of small ENP stocks in the US in particular, all of them are down 70, 80, 90% from two, three years ago. So you had the combination of oil prices are low, these things are trading at, you know, minuscule multiples or, uh, or ratios. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Well, so far, <laughs> I mean, some bad things have happened since then. I mean, Chesapeake <laughs> filed for bankruptcy. Other companies have had kind of to, to file for bankruptcy since then. So I think but there has been matter, right. I mean, from a retailer perspective, some of the bankrupt companies, at least in short term, pop. I mean, yeah. even outside of energy. That's what I'm. I'm curious about what the third quarter is going to show, and that's where I can. I can. I want to see whether that trend we saw in the second quarter did calm down to some extent, as you start to see some kind of. Uh, underperformance for some of these stocks as opposed to tech or other sectors. A lot of the energy market still is under a lot of pressure. Oil prices have stabilized at a relatively low level. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, you know, in that post initial euphoria, things shake out. Well, what about is, I mean, are they just buyers? I mean, it Historically, when do they back back out? Or is it something that once they're in, they're just going to wait until, I mean, they'll hold on to whatever they've picked up unless the price goes below what they picked it up as. I mean, to me, that seems like a psychological thing, right? That you might yeah. keep hoping that it goes up until you start seeing red on your screen relative to mm -hmm. what you bought in at. So are these guys potentially just going to hold on this forever? Or do we think that they're fickle and they're going to be moving in and out? 
I mean, it's a good question. On the on the commodity side, from more experience, having seen that play out for a longer period of time, typically it's they start to peel away as prices move up above th certain thresholds. So if you're getting in at $35 oil, once you get up into a, a range that's closer to, say, the five-year range, which is around $55, $60 a barrel here, once you get into that, no, that no, new normal, a lot of that kind of tourist capital, the way we, we think about it, will start to peel away. Some will stay, but for the most part, as you get, it gets harder to keep retail capital in once you get to that upper echelon where you need to make actively, you know, a call on fundamentals improving or that you, you believe that oil prices are going to go back to $100 a barrel, which that's kind of faded a bit from the market psychology over the past six, seven years. On the Brian, equity side, that, I don't know. Yeah, Brian, is that yeah. expectation on equities? Yeah, you know, good? actually, th th that's a good question. Um, on the equity side, you know, we've seen, um, you know, overall ownership move about actually 10 to 15 percent lower um, from from essentially what we think is an all time high around mid-June. Um, so so really a decrease um, from from June into July and, and, and even into August. I mean, we're, we're you know, I think I think it's normalizing around August, but from a total ownership perspective, and and by that, you know, we we look at um, you know total shares held in inventory across these these retail platform custodians, mm -hmm. um, you know, so th that that total share count has actually been on a on a descent here um, for energy so or for, across. Th this is for energy in particular. Okay. So we don't know that they moved maybe onto a different space, or if they've just pulled the money completely. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious to see um, where, where yeah, that. Yeah. Because I wonder if they just to. keep searching. If the idea is they just keep searching for the next beaten up segment, yeah. you know, the, yeah. whatever, whatever is not performing. I mean, I have to say, uh, I am myself one of these people that we're probably talking about. That I'm not going to lie. It, you oh, know, yeah, the, same. Same things, here. Things started selling off, and I was like, sure, I've got no idea what this company does, but it said it's 52 week, you know, low, and <laughs> it's exactly. Smaller, you know, like why not? This this all sounds very logical to me <laughs> that it really has nowhere to go but up or, you know, at least I'm willing to take a chance on that. And to be honest, those ones that I did pick, well, yeah, it's pretty easy for them to start doubling and tripling, right? When you're down in those in those type of low price ranges. So I, I get it. I, I get how, how this happens. And when I was reading the work that you guys had put together, I had I had to admit that, unfortunately, you were talking about me, right? <laughs> These people <laughs> jumping onto it. I'd like to pretend I'm more sophisticated, but often, obviously, I'm not. Yeah. And so when we think about energy, right? And, and Kareem, you mentioned it. How much... Is this changing the way the, okay, so these small caps, for instance, which we know it was a bigger factor for small caps as opposed to large caps and mid caps even. Is it changing the way that the investor communications, you know, what they're saying out there to the street? Do Is it that they need to be putting out greater sound bites? It sounds as though a lot of this was sound bite driven. Have we seen a, a switch in the communication style of these companies knowing that they might be able to attract these retail investors or maybe they don't want to attract them? I don't know. You know, like what's the what have we seen on that side? It's Mike speaking. So, you know, we, we do speak with a lot of investor relations officers from different subsectors, and they're not necessarily putting out new messaging. Um, if anything, they're being careful to stick to the company line because they're getting a ton more inbound inquiries, questions. They're, they're getting inundated. They're, they're assigning executives, people from the legal departments. They're, they're like sharing the load in dealing with these retail questions that have been coming in. Um, 
And they're very leery of saying too much because these types of investors tend to retweet things. And so <laughs> they have to, they have to be very careful. Um, so that if anything, they're getting a little more careful. I mean, obviously there's regulations, so they're always careful, but um, they're definitely um, sort of ratcheting down and making sure they're not saying anything that they shouldn't be saying. Has it changed that any of their, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that these investor relations teams, you know, that, that there's a cadence and, and an expectation of how to deal with a, a group of sophisticated asset managers. All right. Um, so has anything I, changed? Yes, there's a big change here. So as one IRO said, typically they speak to an investor two to 10 times per year not weekly. Um, so <laughs> they're, they're getting calls all the time by the same people. Um, and, and so they're getting calls from the retailers to the investor relations number. Well, yes. so it's more than just stock picking, it's stock picking and... And following up. I'm surprised by this. I, this right. really surprises me. Right. Us too, but it's it's really going on. And, and one of the IROs actually mentioned that he actually enjoys the calls from a retail investor because they're just like, hey, how do you make money? I tell them. They're like, cool, sounds good to me. And they they move on. They don't they don't get grilled and raked over the coals over all the minutiae that goes on. They just want to basically understand that it makes sense to them. The stock's beaten down and and off they go. Um, but wow. not all the conversations are that easy. I mean, in some instances, these retail investors have piled into stocks that did not work. And like they they mentioned that like they, they're talking to people that are in tears. So like it really runs the gamut of the tone of these conversations, depending on how things went. You know, I was thinking of, of a difference, you know, Kareem, you were talking about people piling into commodities and the USO went negative, right, for a little yeah. while in, in April. And I guess equities aren't going to go negative, but there's a lot of margin margin lending uh, on uh, on these platforms. So, so, you know, I guess the, the same risk is there uh, if one is essentially playing with money that he or she doesn't have. It's certainly the case. And, you know, I, I don't want to refer to them as dumb money anymore because we did some analysis and it looks like they did pretty well as a whole. The group didn't. The group seems to have made money, and as Brian had just mentioned, they're they're pairing back after having seen some pretty good run ups in energy companies. So they've done pretty well as a whole, but it doesn't mean there aren't individuals out there that didn't borrow money, overload into one stock that was low, and just basically lost it all because there have been bankruptcies in the space. Things have gone wrong here, really wrong. Kareem, have you, have, yeah. from your side, have you, have you noticed at all any if, if retail has always been a presence in commodities, has that presence lightened as retail has increased its focus on equities? It hasn't really. I mean, what we had in the second quarter here was the biggest run-up of, re of retail capital coming into the futures markets for crude that we ever seen. I mean, even much larger than we had in 2015, 2016, much larger than we had in 2008, 2009. And I mean, to such an extent that the USO and some of these large ETFs became so large that, you know, a lot of scrutiny and regulatory pressure forced them into shifting their holdings away from strictly holding front month contracts, which was the way the USO historically worked, and towards owning a spread across multiple contracts along the curve, just to diffuse some of the effect that the, the, the ETFs could have 
on price formation and, and spot month uh, pricing. So I think it's been more than ever. The other interesting thing is similar to your, the risks you talk about on margin on, on the equity side, on the futures side and on commodities, I think there was a bit of a misunderstanding about the risks involved with severely imbalanced markets where you do have a, a massive contango in the front month and the kind of forward curve, which means that these ETFs every month need to spend a huge amount of money to roll over their contracts from the front month contract to the second month contract, incurring a loss across you know uh, the entire holder base. So I think that was another uh, dimension of the ETFs that wasn't kind of well understood versus the, in the intuitive okay, oil prices are at $20 today. I know that they're not going to be at $20 forever. Let me just come and sit. Uh, what turned out to be is a lot more volatile than that. So I think that's been one of the other issues here. And, and so that volatility, it, that yeah. is obviously something that sort of comes hand in hand with the increase in retail investors. When we, yeah. so from a commodity perspective, as you said, this is something that the commodity market's kind of gotten used to, at least here in the U.S., and and mm -hmm. and maybe knows how to how to manage it or read it a little bit better. But on the equity side, I mean, that could be quite dangerous, couldn't it? You know, when we start thinking about you know as, the, as these different companies and these equities start to recover, if we've got these sort of movements in retail investors, should we? Is it going to make everything a little bit choppier? Basically, is what I'm getting to. Is you know, as we kind of go through this recovery mode. De definitely. Um, I mean, one specific company that had fallen below a dollar that, that we cover and we see flows, you know, the, the stock was running between 90 cents and 30 cents up and down. And, and we're looking at retail flows um, moving in and out. And it would, it would have been impossible to get that right. And you're talking about a significant loss if you don't mm -hmm. if you don't hit it right mm -hmm. from a percentage basis. So, um yeah, and there's an attraction to that. I mean, we I think Brian, if I remember your report, that there was, it's the high beta stocks that they're seeing the most money come into. Them. Is that, that right? That is, that is correct. Yeah, you know, I, you know, actually, what was interesting is not all issuers saw, you know, I'm going to play up that a little bit, but not all issuers saw an increase in in retail ownership. Um, you know, actually, relative outperformers from a you know total return perspective. You know, which we by by our data had at most a negative, you know, twenty percent or better, actually saw a decrease in in retail ownership. Um, you know, and obviously those guys, you know, were, were mostly the integrators, the the large cap midstream issuers. So, so um, at, you know, to your point, yeah, that that's correct. Um, the higher beta names, um, the worst performers attracted a lot more of those the, the retail guys. And again, because they're at the lower threshold, I guess, right? They're, you know, talking about dollars as opposed to tens of dollars or hundreds of dollars in, in some cases, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Energy, with all that went on in, in energy at the beginning of the year, I mean, does this seem to be a new normal or just because energy was so beaten up that, that energy is maybe getting a little bit more play right now from the retail segment? And we expect to see, you know, maybe as soon as the end of this year, as things be become more stabilized. Or do you see this continuing, Brian or Michael? Any of you? Mike, you want to take that? That's a good question. <laughs> I think it's somewhere in between. I think I don't think this is going away, but those unique price dislocation opportunities probably won't. There won't be as rampant now that there's been a recovery in in share prices since the COVID related sell-off. Um, but 
they're there. The accounts are growing and um, they're, they're probably hunting for it. You know, it's, you know, these situations don't go away that fast. Um, you know, we see a rise at DraftKings every week. I mean, these, these types of situations, you know, online gambling and whatnot, you know, I'm not saying it's that, but I'm just saying that, that they got a taste for it. They've done pretty well. And I assume they're still going to be looking for new opportunities. One thing that came up in one of our conversations that could really put a, a halt to this would be if there was a rise in interest rates, which yeah. could sort of change the landscape and potentially put novice investors, and I use that word carefully because these people have been pretty smart on the whole, but they might be dealing with a situation that they're not familiar with, and that could sort of you know, put a damper on things. And I think what's interesting as well to think about is... Uh, well, two things. One, I think that we all agree here that they're pretty, that the retail investor is probably sector agnostic, right? Like it's not necessarily that they're energy lovers. That's right. It's that they, they really look for opportunistic type of positioning, right? So I guess it kind of, you know, whether they stick in energy sort of depends on if energy starts stabilizing, they're probably not going to stick around in energy, right? Whereas if it stays volatile, it might be a sector that continues to draw attention. But also, I mean, behavior shift-wise, let's be honest, as we were talking about at the, at the first part of the call here, we're all sitting at home, so it kind of makes it easier to do that type of stuff right now. Um, if, you're, if everybody's having to get back to the office or in some cases back to work that doesn't have you sitting in front of a computer all the time, are we just going to see a downward trend in activity off of people getting back to work? Or maybe you're now you're rightfully addicted, you you know, like, let's be honest, it can be a little bit addictive, just like any other platform that you're going to keep it up while you're walking around with your phone because um, you can carry it on your mobile device. I, I don't know. These are all. Yeah, those, those are great points and questions. You know, I would think if the world got back to normal and people returned to the office, that would slow things down. But if we get another stimulus check, that could, that could. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> round two, you know, I mean, it, but well, if you made enough slow. money in, in, in the first round, you don't have to go back to an office. Well, this, yeah. I guess this is, <laughs> you've just decided to, to sort of become the retired poker player, right? I mean, that that was always the thing. You'd hear the, about these guys that keep a, you know do well on the on the poker circuit for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden they become a professional gambler. Um, you know, maybe have a lot of people sort of shifting focus, and this is where they want to make their money. And you know, of course, until they get burned, I guess is is always how it plays out. It, maybe it's a speculative bubble. I mean, maybe it's not different than the bubble bursting on the dot-com days and the retail goes away again. I don't know. Well, so one of the things in your report, Brian, was saying that the cohort, it doesn't appear to be big enough to, to really be having that much of an impact on some of the pricing of equities. So, um, you know, that, so it sounds like if there is any sort of bubble thing, it's maybe a part of a, a, a bigger thing, but it's not the retailers are driving this. That's right. Yeah. So from a broader market perspective, I think we saw the increase in retail trading activity uh, move in proportion to overall uh, market volume. Um, so it kind of, it kind of ranged bound between three and 5% um, by, by our calculations. I mean, obviously there are a lot of different ways to, to calculate that, but um, you know, three and 5% is still relatively small um and but more buyers than, than sellers which i guess some of that is intuitive if you're new to the market you got nothing to sell um <laughs> yeah, right right but so, so but that 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 has been kind of kind of the 
which I guess, you know, Kareem and, you know, thinking about the, the overall environment for energy, it has been an out of favor sector. I mean, Mike, you, you and, uh, you know, some colleagues and I worked on this last year that energy, particularly oil and gas, has been out of favor. Uh, so, so it's been hard to find a buyer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a long time, I'd say for the last few quarters, it's been the hedge funds that have stepped in in a bigger way. But a lot of hedge funds have left the space. Either they've closed, they've just, they're not touching energy. We, we've heard, uh, we've heard about a lot of energy pods being closed. So there's there's not nearly the amount of hedge funds in these stocks as there were even three to six months ago. So the long onlys have left. They've been leaving for years um, as energy is becoming a small, smaller and smaller part of the S and P 500, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ETFs passives up, but a lot of that has retail behind it. Um, but then there's these individual retail accounts that are just growing and they're filling this void. So is this a new norm? That question is is very hard to answer. It kind of jumps back to that a little bit. Um, but that's that's where the flows are in energy these days. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate irony of this whole kind of stock picking and that, that a lot of these new investors landed in energy, which is an, a space for the past three years. It's been very tough for anyone who's been in there. So suddenly they see all this external kind of uh, capital coming in speculatively trying to, you know, make the most of a cyclical industry, which hasn't been particularly kind on anyone who's been in there. So uh, I think that's done a, well. And in the short term, to some extent, I mean, that's where we get back to the debate, which is how long can this last? And that's the part which is, you know, the longer they stay in this market, the more they're going to become, you know, they're going to fall out of uh, out of love for some of Mm -hmm. some of these uh, some of these names. And so if the retailers or the buyers, when it's, you know, out of favor, you know, when the retailers want to get out. Is there a new like, round of retailers that comes in to, to be right. the buyer, or, who's picking or up, is did the who's suits picking get up the back shares. in? Yeah, yeah. Who, who knows? Maybe they're going to have a tough time in accounting time when they when they find out what a wash sale is. Or <laughs> I mean, there's there's tons of retail investors loading into MLPs, and I don't maybe they don't even understand what that means from from tax time implications. It's there's a lot of unknown here, you know, um, because the the volumes jumped up. So what if they're churning? And they find out that no, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't lock in all those small gains. That it's yeah. it's one big trade when you're moving in and out like that. I, I these questions just run through my head all the time. Like I wonder if they fully understand what it is that's going on. They seem to understand pretty well. I'm not disparaging anybody because the the stocks are going up that they're in for the most part. But but the the nuances of making money trading like this is it's very difficult. So we said that we said that we've seen a pullback from the peaks, right, of June. Does anybody want to start sort of making some speculative ideas about when we actually see bigger changes in this in this type of behavior? I mean, are we talking that we think they're going to stick around in more stabilized oil price world for three months, um, or do we think that year end, for instance, is an indicator for them? What kind of are there signposts that we think might be out there for what might trigger? these retail investors to start exiting some of their energy positions my i'll i'll, I'll take a stab at that uh, i'm waiting to see what the next uh, 
you know, the conversations around the the next round of stimulus will be really. So that that's that's kind of what what I'm keeping my eye on. Yeah. I think the commodity price is going to be big here. I mean, I think if you lose the stability of the oil price and you come back down, I think it's going to be very quick to get out because they've seen that movie before and it's ugly. So so get out as quick as you can. I think if, if oil prices do move up kind of and you start to see that recovery forming and that narrative around how COVID is passed and everything is looking better, I think that could kind of keep capital just lingering here a bit longer, but it's going to be a very responsive to that. I think that's where, in the meantime, as long as you're within a, a small band, I think you'll continue to lose some just because it's not going anywhere while the rest of the market is still going up. So, yeah. I mean, it's an opportunity cost too. Just put it in whatever, uh, Tesla, and you would have been up 600% by now. <laughs> Kareem, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you mentioned you know you've seen that movie before, and, and you know immediately Trading Places comes to mind, which ended so very well for for, for, for the two retail investors. I, I guess yeah. I ended up being one of them there. Um, you know, I don't know if there's a Randolph and Mortimer Dukes out there, kind of watching all of this and, and shivering. Uh, but but it's it's nice that the retailers had uh, you know have had a good run of it, and uh, it's nice for energy that that we've you know got some buyers in the space. Um, given all the negative news uh, around the sector. A lot of optimism on the retail side. Well, thank you. uh, Thank you all. I think this has been a a, a very, uh, you know, interesting podcast and an old interesting, you know, new new data set and new kind of everything for us to to, to look at in in these days of uh, COVID. And, you know, here we are working from home you know all, all together in our in our podcast and i guess you guys are getting ready for your cameras on happy hour hopefully gumby so all right well uh we will sign off and uh look forward to doing this again soon thanks for having thanks, us guys thanks too thanks for thanks. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com slash energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.